0: A Shot of Life is sponsored by the Toronto School of Management's NCA Prep Program. Get in touch with Anton on Facebook or email ncaprep at torontosom.ca to find out how you can start prepping for your NCA exams on your own time, on demand, through pre-recorded modules taught by Canadian-trained expert lawyers, as well as study guides and notes that cover the entire NCA syllabus. Mention the discount code A Shot of Life to get 10% off your purchases with T-S-O-M. You don't have to study alone. Get in touch with Anton and get started on your journey to becoming a lawyer in Canada today. Welcome to A Shot of Life. A podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 35 of our NCA series. Our 35th guest is Judah Strausinski. Judah manages and promotes Practice Pro, Law Pro's innovative claims and risk management initiative, including identifying emerging claims and risk resource creation, and outreach to the profession. Prior to joining LawPro, he served as a policy counsel at the Law Society of Ontario, where he provided strategic counsel with respect to key issues facing the legal profession, including access to justice, professional regulation, governance, and legislative issues. Judah has a Bachelor of Arts from McGill University in Humanistic Studies and International Development Studies, and a Juris Doctor from the University of Toronto.
1: Hi, Judah. Hi, Anton. Hi. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Sure. Yeah, I've been kind of following your work and, and Uh, looking at all the updates that you provide via LinkedIn since, well, I don't know, I suppose maybe this time last year or in the summer, at least at some Mm -hmm. point when you had done an event with Global Lawyers of Canada. Um, And, you know, I got really interested. And I think like most internationally trained lawyers, um, not really considering um, the function of of the organization that you're working with law pro. And we'll get into that, um, in Mm -hmm. a bit, but, um, to start, it's always interesting, um, to learn a little bit about you, the person, um, sort of where you're from, what inspired Mm -hmm. you to want to pursue law as a career and, um, you know, where you got your law degree and things like that.
2: Sure. Uh, me in a nutshell, well, I was, uh, I was born and raised in Ottawa, uh, the nation's capital and, uh, I admit to uh, to having been uh, one of those debate nerds mm-hmm. uh, through high school. i was I was pretty motivated and studied pretty hard. and And if you had asked me in high school, I probably uh, would have told you I was interested in pursuing a law degree. i I took uh, a law class in in high school. I found it really challenging and fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I went and uh, started an undergrad at at McGill in Montreal. I completed what ended up being a a BA uh, because uh, I I started in in business, but switched around and ended up with an arts degree Mm -hmm. and uh, got to live in France through that, doing a a year abroad, and then went straight through to uh, law school. And I went to U of T uh, because they have really robust public law, uh, as well as the things they're known to in terms of being near Bay Street, they they have a lot of public law courses that were fascinating to me. So I went there, got my degree, moved back to Ottawa to clerk at the federal court, uh, and then uh, did a human rights fellowship in the Boston area in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Then came back to Toronto, practiced litigation for uh, about three and a half years. Worked then as a policy lawyer for the Law Society of Ontario for seven plus years. And now uh, I've moved to LawPro, which is the insurance for lawyers in private practice in Ontario.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Thanks for that. And I'm curious about, and it kind of, it's quite similar to me in a way, like um, there was, there's always um, a a period in your younger years where Mm -hmm. um, your interest is peaked in the law. And for me too, it was a a law course that I took in high school. I think it was grade 12. Um, And it was interesting to me. Um, And so I guess delving deep into the psyche of young Judah. <laughs> what you mentioned that you're into debating and um you're you know that kind of thing and you you were you were good with your studies, but what what particular about the law was interesting to you? I know you mentioned it was like it was challenging and, and fascinating. I'm curious about what what about it um was interesting yeah, to you. I, I mean there were a few things. One one was that uh, at a
2: at a deeper level, I was fascinated by the idea of law about uh, how we decide what is legal, how we decide questions of justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family uh, came to Canada after the Second World War. Uh, I have a family uh, who survived the Holocaust. I also have family who did not survive the Holocaust. So uh, a lot of questions about the role that law plays, the role of uh, of civil society, the role of our judiciary, but also the role of, of laws and how they're drafted and what we decide is is appropriate for our times was was always fascinating to me because laws were drafted uh, during that time mm-hmm. that permitted things that are 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 heinous, uh, but laws were then also used to try to restore some sort of order post war, a- and led to the development of of uh, global human rights movements and to our very own charter of rights and freedoms and so there was lots to think about and to and that i could reflect on in terms of very close connections in terms of how law shapes societies and what that does for individuals and their rights mm-hmm. uh, so there was there was that personal reflection at the same time there was a practical piece which is that i've always been a bit of a a broader broader, higher level thinker uh, and uh, enjoy interdisciplinary uh, academic challenges. And so law is a good calling for someone who uh, maybe enjoys both the forest and the trees. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so, you know, you can look at things from a, a higher philosophical level or policy level, and you can drill down into the nuances of a specific case. And you can do that all with with one set of skills and, and uh one one education path.
1: Right. Yeah, it makes sense. And so when you're going through your BA at McGill, um, mm-hmm. and then you, you kind of make the decision then to go to U of T law, um, you have these ideas like you that you just outlined about mm-hmm. law and, and and fundamentally what interested in interested you in the law, but I'm wondering. When you're in law school, like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people who, even when they finish law school, they're like, okay, now what, what am I going to do? You know, (laughs) you take many different courses. And like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of really great um, policy focused, Mm -hmm. uh, public policy focused courses at U of T is, is that something that you naturally Gravitate, gravitated to even further when you were there? Or did you like, like you had started business and then moved to um, an arts degree in McGill? Yeah. Did, you, did you go for one thing and then find out that there was something else that was also interesting to you? Or how did you find your experience in law school? And how did you find sort of generally speaking, um, an area of law that you really wanted to pursue? Yeah,
2: so there's there's a lot there. I mean, in terms yeah. of the, the law school experience, I guess for me, the first year was pretty baked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you just follow it through. And then for the second and third years, I tried to find courses that would potentially pique curiosity. And so I, I focused mostly on, on legal courses relating to the constitution, to the charter, to other public law areas, uh, mm-hmm. public international law, environmental law. At the end of the day, though, uh, I gotta say I I cut it so generalist uh, that when I left law school, I was no closer to knowing what I wanted to practice in. Right. I I sort of like I think many uh, who aren't sure when they go in started to rule certain practice areas out mm-hmm. uh, because I just wasn't that interested in the substantive issues or or the or or the processes to get certain things done. Uh, So corporate commercial law, for example, just wasn't for me, Uh, Mm -hmm. no disrespect to that area. It's important and and, it does have some interesting pieces to it, but I just knew that it wasn't going to to be for me. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I don't think I left law school having a great sense of what it would look like to practice law in Ontario or what sort of practice options there would be or what kind of models existed. And, you know, I think that's still an area where there is a divide and where it can be tricky for for new calls, uh, regardless of where they went to school to really get a sense of the of the legal environments that are out there.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I hear lots of feedback from listeners who say, you know, even it's such a it's sort of a you kind of don't even consider it. It's it is a truly Mm -hmm. fundamental question. What area should I practice? And it's, yes. it's a really personal question, but at the same time, also, it invites some, some expert guidance and some sort of, I did this, and um, just so you know, you probably don't wouldn't like to get into this area of law or maybe try this area of law. So it is always interesting for me to find out, once you complete law school, there are some people so driven and so sure of what they want to do. But it's also reassuring to hear that there's a lot of people out there who aren't entirely sure even when they finish law (laughs) and they're learning as they go. Yeah.
2: And I, I had friends who knew right off the bat, you know, they studied criminology in undergrad. They then wanted to learn about uh, everything related to criminal law and the law of evidence and the charter and anything they would need to become courtroom prosecutors or defense counsel. And, and sure enough, they landed in those roles Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, Others were a little uh, a little bit more open uh, about where things might take them. And uh, the good thing about the law degree is it is so broad uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the training uh, that you have choice and you have the ability to pivot over time. So it all shakes out. I can, I can tell you that uh, mm-hmm. there are lots of opportunities out there. Uh, but sometimes they're a little different than what perhaps you would have envisioned on your first day of law school, whether you were taking that first uh, first day of law school in Montreal or Toronto or Vancouver or abroad.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, as you, as you know, most of the listeners here have got some, some stake in the internationally trained space. Mm-hmm. Um, I've interviewed many stakeholders, you know, from, from, East all the way to West in terms of like, you know, Deborah Wolf from the NCA and sure. Dr. Mitchell Moore from CPLED. And, and then I've also had the opportunity to interview a lot of internationally trained lawyers from all over the world at various um, stages in their accreditation and licensing process here in Canada. Canada yeah, it has been really great, to be honest. Um, and what I find um, and what I've been told by listeners is that it's really helpful for them to learn about um all of the other stuff involved in in practicing in Canada, you know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's enough. To, you can go to websites and you can kind of get an idea. And then when you're on, for instance, the Facebook and social media pages about getting accredited, that's your world. You know, getting accredited or finishing those exams or taking the LLMs at various law schools in Canada, that's your world. And then after that, it's you know, for some internationally trained lawyers, it's not only a question of Getting licensed, it's also a question of where am I going to live in this big country that I want to immigrate to, and of course. you know, invariably there are there are a few provinces, you know, Alberta, BC, and Toronto that are that are chosen predominantly, and so and Ontario, sorry, so so if somebody chooses to come to Ontario and they're They're looking at passing their bar exams and that's their world again. Um, Mm -hmm. But they complete that, that stage. And they're sort of, you know, and you see all these great posts of people who are, who are so, you know, satisfied with the fact that they've finally been called to the bar. It's a huge no, it's accomplishment. A, it's a real
2: accomplishment. It's fa- it's fantastic and something to be proud of.
1: Absolutely. Um, and so now, what I'm interested in, and I'm sure the listeners would be interested in, is sort of the area of work that you're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, and practically speaking, what what is law pro, and why should um, you know a listener of this podcast? um be interested in LawPro and, and learn more about it. Like what is the benefit of Law Pro to an internationally trained lawyer? Sure. Well let's start, let's start with Canada wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, because not all
2: foreign trained lawyers uh, who practiced in their home, you know, their 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 country of origin where they practiced may have had different setups. But in Canada, it doesn't matter which jurisdiction you're in, mm-hmm. if you're in private practice, you're going to need insurance and that insurance is going to be from one provider, from a mandatory insurance program. Right. Not every jurisdiction has that. In Canada, the public policy debate or decision that law societies across the country have landed on in a pretty uniform way is that if there's going to be independent regulation of lawyers and at times other legal professionals in exchange for, or as part of that independent regulation, there should be consumer protection. Mm -hmm. And so if a lawyer is gonna go out there, uh, there should be a a safety net available in case there are mistakes. But also, and for some some law societies, this was the primary driver, mandatory insurance enables lawyers to provide the legal services in the first place. It's Mm -hmm. part of access to justice. Because if lawyers start to work on complex transactions where there's risk that they would be liable personally and would not have the means to defend or to pay uh, their client or another party if they had been liable to them for a mistake, Mm. then some people might not want to provide the service in the first place. So across Canada, and this will, this will be very different from people coming from the states or people from certain other jurisdictions, we require insurance. So the point, first point to know is that this is, this is as important uh, a precursor to practice as paying your law society fees and remaining in good standing with your law society. If you're in private practice, you need insurance. And if you're not in private practice, but you're still a law society member, you need to report your status so, that everyone understands who you're serving right now and whether or not you need insurance. So, mm-hmm. let's start there. Mm-hmm. For Ontario, LawPro is the mandatory insurer. And that was a decision of the Law Society, of the regulator of Ontario lawyers at the time, now lawyers and paralegals. And so, Ontario lawyers in private practice need to get a policy through LawPro. And we have Uh, a standard policy that typically applies and it uh, it, we have 29,000 lawyers who uh, have coverage with us uh, year to year and it covers your professional services and if there are mistakes then or if somebody has a complaint about you that you need to report that to us and we can then help try to repair an issue or uh, counsel you as to what your next step ought to be, or at times defend on your behalf uh, if something turns towards litigation. Mm-hmm. And so we're just like uh, we're, we're we're your we're your safety net,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, we're your umbrella. Uh, but you you need to uh, work with us and just be aware that this is part of being a lawyer in Canada and in Ontario is that there's
1: insurance that's required. Right. Well, that's that's a good synopsis, Judah. Thank you. And and so now I'm wondering, let's say, I mean, I'm sure you've come across individuals um, who are internationally trained, um, mm-hmm. and and there are some, you know, really accomplished professionals from, let's oh, say. Sure. India, the UK, who have years of practice experience, and what what is common practice here is once they complete their licensing examinations, they apply to the Law Society in order to have their articling either abridged, or exempted, um, based mm-hmm. on their based on a certain, I believe it's for every six months practice you get one month off of your articling or something like that, and I think it okay. changes, um, so. There's there's a real um, desire to be able to get around articling, um, to have it exempted so you don't have to worry about getting that job. And what a lot of internationally trained lawyers, you know, I've personally met quite a few of them do, is they they hang a shingle straight away. They set up shop right. in general practice, let's say. Um, or, you know, maybe it's immigration because they have personal firsthand experience with that mm-hmm. or, or something like that. So... Um, you know, without getting into specific cases, I'm curious about law pros experience with internationally trained lawyers who do hang a shingle. Um, what what are some common pitfalls that might exist or some things for people who are listening to this to start thinking about so that they can avoid those, you know, issues that may arise when you hang a shingle without articling experience, you're essentially starting from like scratch um, and you may be liable to make some mistakes. And yeah. what, what are some of those common mistakes that people should be aware of? So let's let's go a level higher again on this one, Anton, and just
2: mm-hmm. talk about lawyers who go out soon into their career mm-hmm. and hang their own shingle, go solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people who have articled will have articled in a firm where the structure of practice or where the size of the firm uh, or the location of the firm, uh, the clientele of the firm are completely different from where following articling and getting your your ticket punched, uh, the newly minted lawyer decides they want to serve a different demographic, a different audience. Mm-hmm. And so that articling experience, while helpful in certain aspects, is probably not going to prepare that lawyer for all of the Uh, challenges and responsibilities and obligations of going out on your own. Mm. So here are a few things that uh, new lawyers need to know. Uh, First is you you need to really think carefully about whether private practice is for you. There are lots of lawyers who love the independence and autonomy of going out on their own or the entrepreneurial nature of creating a firm with their colleagues and and going out there to the market. Mm-hmm. But not every lawyer is necessarily interested in or practice ready to go out on their own. Mm-hmm. And so you need to think about what it means to be a solopreneur, what it means to also be responsible for your uh, your bookkeeping, for your marketing, for deciding who your ideal client would be how you want to practice, the structure of your practice. You need to make sure that you've got the right technology in place, that you've got your um, your budget lines for not just technology and computers and, and phone, but also your your law society fee, your law pro fees, uh, what, other, what other startup costs. So you need to create a budget. You need a business plan. You need to think about your referral sources. Mm. And that's a challenge for anyone. And so, if you're looking for where to start, uh, I would suggest that uh, any internationally trained lawyer, uh, and it these are, are freely available resources. So if you're not sure, you know, if you're a listener and you're not sure whether you're gonna do this at all, and if you're, yeah, you're uh, but you're certainly not sure if you're gonna do this in, in Ontario specifically, not to worry. Uh, These are universal aids, and I would recommend going to practicepro.ca as as a starting point. Uh, We've got new lawyer resources right in our practice aids section, and we have things like uh, tips to uh, succeed in your practice and to think about whether uh, going solo is for you. We've got a questionnaire that's available there. We've got uh, guides to help you manage your startup costs, manage the finances of your practice. We have a sample budget spreadsheet. We have Mm -hmm. a business plan outline. So lots of resources there to help you really refine how it is that you want to set up shop. Mm -hmm. In terms of the risks, there's always a risk of uh, early career lawyers not having the community of practice that is necessary for success. New lawyers who are solo are at risk of becoming isolated in the profession and isolated in their career paths. Mm. And everyone needs mentoring. Everyone needs support. Everyone needs to be able to ask that dumb question to a colleague in confidence. And so if you are thinking of going out either as solo or with, with colleagues, you want to think about which associations you're going to join, whether you're going to join a mentoring program. And the Law Society of Ontario has a mentoring program, and there are several legal associations that have them as well. And you're going to have to think really carefully about how you make sure that you are going to continue to learn uh, the practice as, as you grow, but, but doing so by, by working to develop a network here uh, in Canada or in Ontario specifically.
1: Mm. Yeah, I can imagine, um, like, as you were talking there, you, I like the the sort of word solopreneur, <laughs> mm. um, because really, you know, starting your own business that isn't law related, if you're, if you're not a lawyer, and you're starting a business, it's a big undertaking. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into it. But I can only imagine that starting, you know, because a, a private practice is a business um and it's you know it's a service-based business and and not only starting and running a business but also practicing the law I can imagine it would be quite difficult to balance the two if you're not if you haven't taken in all of the potential issues that may arise like as you mentioned bookkeeping budgeting um and so I would imagine maybe something like time management could be an issue like if if You know, setting clear expectations for your clients. I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if you've had any experience, you know, within your role um, where, you know, and I I mean, even if you do set clear expectations, sometimes clients will complain and try to sue you, Um, but Particularly if you're running your own show um, and you're trying to balance both being an entrepreneur and marketing, um, but also practicing the law and setting reasonable timelines and things like that, do you have any experience with with people maybe misstepping in that regard? Because I I would see that would that sure. might be one of them anyway. Sure. So let's let's talk a bit
2: about um, managing being a the the uh, law firm manager of one and providing your legal expertise. So uh, anytime you're trying to plan out your revenue and your client base, you also have to plan out your time. Mm -hmm. And whether you're charging on an hourly rate or a fixed fee rate or however you decide to price yourself and based on what, what value you expect to be able to provide Uh, to a a client client base. Mm -hmm. You also need to think very carefully about how much time on task you're going to be providing to the legal services versus all of the other issues that go into running a small business. And, you know, I just finished reading a book that I would recommend to anyone thinking of going out on their own. It's by Paul Jarvis. It's called Company of One. Mm. Why staying small is the next big thing for business. And What's interesting about Mr. Jarvis's book, even though it's it's not at lawyers specifically, but one key takeaway is he cautions people thinking of going out and creating their own company of one, that you should assume that half of your time is going to be spent on running the business. Mm. And so you really want to think about, is that day to day, and some people get excited about finding new client leads or or you know updating a website or noting another accomplishment in terms of how they've served a client but if that does nothing for you then you really want to think about whether starting that business is the right path for you hmm. and so you want to start the fact finding early and you know i suggest calling some solo lawyers and asking them about how they make it work and how much time they spend on things and talk to them about things like which practice management software they use to keep their calendars moving, or what what sort of back backend uh, cloud storage they have for files, or uh, who do they use for uh, cybersecurity, right. et etc. So they're they getting uh, tied into the solo lawyering community is is going to be helpful, and there is a pretty vibrant one out there. Even just on law Twitter, you can see that a lot of solo lawyers are, are active there and sharing uh, tips and there are Facebook groups and other groups uh, for solo and small firm uh, lawyers. But you know you do all of that on the business management side, mm. then there is still the practice risk sides, which I think Anton you just sort of raised and right And if you again at Practice Pro, we share quite candidly, where we see complaints about lawyers. We, we've we got about 3000 complaints coming in a year now. Mm. Um, these can be, you know, these are claims where uh, lawyers report to us that something has gone awry or where the clients have started to complain. And these often are sent to us well before anyone has sued. And often it doesn't come to that. But by and large, we see that the biggest areas universally, relate to service side issues as opposed to the substantive legal issues
1: right yeah so
2: we see that time management is a key issue uh managing your client and effectively communicating with your client is a key area and digging and asking open questions and getting to the heart of your clients matter is is a third big area Mm And if you go on to practicepro.ca, uh, if you're a, a newly minted lawyer or going through the NCA process and trying to think about where you'd like to practice or how, we actually have on our practice aids page, uh, something we call the biggest claims risk by areas of law. And you can go there and you can click through on areas you may want to uh, potentially practice in. And you'll see that there are differences between different areas of practice. So. Family law is very complex, mm. and so there are higher claims with respect to mistakes in substantive law than in particular other areas. Plaintiff side litigation, time management, because you're responsible as the as the plaintiff side counsel to move a file forward. Right. Time management is a much bigger issue in that area of practice. Uh, so you know each of these have their own nuances, but certainly. For new lawyers starting out, time management can be an issue, and client management I've seen repeatedly be an issue with new calls.
1: Yeah, of course. And they I mean, it makes sense. As you're talking, I find myself nodding my head, and I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, you know, the these things are perfected with time and wisdom and experience, but when you're starting out, if you choose to hang a shingle right out of the gate, um, you know, it's sort of trial by by fire really you have to you have to learn these things while you're moving um but it's also i think it's it's worthwhile for everybody to be able to keep these things in mind and remind themselves you know am i do i have the right software to help me be the best communicator i can to keep me on track um and so that that sounds good so i'm i'm curious now you you and i you kind of briefly walked me through it but practically speaking Mm -hmm. let's say um, i've got a a client who's starting to voice some displeasure with um where where the case is moving let's say i'm you know plaintiff side litigator and there's somebody unhappy with with how long it's taking and Mm -hmm. they they're arguing that i'm not doing my job um and so I, what happens then next, like if I'm, sure. if I'm a, sort of a new call, let's say within the first one to two years of practice, what should mm-hmm. I do if I'm hearing this kind of language from my client?
2: So it, it really becomes a, a temperature issue, right? Mm. And client management uh, sometimes ebbs and flows. So let, let's start with the prevention. The prevention piece is around screening for clients and making sure that you've got clients where you think that trust relationship and that bond is gonna be strong. Mm. Uh, As new calls and junior lawyers, and sometimes lawyers in particular communities, uh, sometimes there are actors who will seek out new lawyers to try to take advantage of them. Right, wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, for fraud or so that they can uh, try to take a a really unreasonable position in court that certain other lawyers might've told them is just a bad idea. And so you wanna be on guard uh, because although we're a helping profession, And of course, lawyers can take clients and and some will follow a cab rank rule and feel an obligation to take clients. You actually can say no if you are afraid that this is not going to be a productive relationship or where you get a sense from the outset that there are issues in how the communication is going or issues about Uh, how the client uh, may be trying to ask you to do things that you're already feeling uncomfortable with. Mm. Those are all red flags that perhaps this is not the right solicitor-client relationship. So part of it comes to screening, but then once you've decided to work with a client, you need constant communication so that everyone stays on the same page. Mm -hmm. And we see it at LawPro where sometimes lawyers will not tell their client, Over a course of several months, what's happened with their case. And that case may be languishing, and it may not be the lawyer's fault. It may be the other side is still preparing documents. But one extra email that says, Hi, you know, it's your lawyer, just letting you know the other side is still preparing their documents. They've told me they will need until date X. Uh, I'll see whether they meet that deadline, but I'll be in touch with you either way around then. Mm -hmm. And then to diarize for a follow up, that's letting that client know that you really care. Mm. And those sorts of regular correspondences where expectations are maintained throughout help avoid those client frustration points that can come down the road. Right. If though you get to the, you know, the Anton scenario here where, you know, somebody is now complaining about you, you need to have that client sit down and see if you can realign. Mm. You know, and sometimes people will feel neglected, or will be anxious, or uh, it's possible they're calling and 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 they're nervous now because when you started with them, maybe it was at the beginning of a pandemic, um, but since then they've lost their job, and so now they'd like this matter to settle quickly, even if it means a mediation happening with no leverage, and even if it means settling for fifty cents on what you think they could be getting. Right, right. If the client's needs have changed, you need to hear that. So. Sometimes it just means getting on the phone or Zoom right now, but in person down the road to have a chat with your client and say, what's going on? What's the problem? Uh, You know, if you inadvertently caused them stress or uh, anxiety, it's okay to say, look, you know, this is how we're going to go going forward. But if it starts to really ramp up in terms of the temperature, if they say things like, I'm not going to pay your bills, Uh, you owe me or you have to do this for me, or Mm -hmm. I'm going to sue you, or I don't care about this, I want to do it this way. Uh, You know, you really have to think about whether that is a salvageable relationship, or whether you need to think about whether it would be appropriate to remove yourself as the lawyer of record. Mm -hmm. And whether as a, uh, you know, in the cases of I'm going to sue yourself, or I'm ignoring you, or you're a bad lawyer, you know, reporting it as a claim to law pro, and then you know, there's, it doesn't cost you to do that, but it just puts us on notice that there's something happening on, on this file. Mm-hmm. And one of our claims professionals will be in touch to eyeball it with you and tell you whether for now we'll just hold it. Or if you expect you're going to be sued any day now, then, you know, what to do should you end up getting served with documents?
1: Right. Yep. That makes sense. And actually it's sort of, I, I was, as you were speaking there, it, mm-hmm. I think a major role, particularly let's say for a solopreneur is client management and relationship mm. building with your clients, and it's something that you you don't really get the benefit out of uh, from law school. You know, law school is a lot of substantive. Um, you know, you can um, take negotiation classes and do yep. some mooting and things like that. But really, um, you learn pretty quickly. Like I, um, you know, I'm not practicing. I'm in education now. But sure. back when I was shadowing a family law lawyer. And um, really interesting, but it's a very human um, area of law. And this family law lawyer, she's very good. She was in litigation. And she Mm -hmm. was saying that you have to remember that every time you're speaking to your client, it may, it's likely they're the worst day they've ever had. And this is the biggest problem in their life. And you, you may have five to 10 of these people at any one time, five to 10 files on the go. So you have mm-hmm. to treat each and every correspondence with your client with that kind of care so that you're, you know, you are managing the the relationship effectively, and keeping everybody, um, you know, keeping everybody's expectations where you can manage them. It is tricky, you know, this lawyer would get phone calls from, from a woman who was just complaining about their ex, um, you know, and she'd kind of sit there. And that's sort of part of the client management um, side of things where, you know, it's, it can teeter and there are high emotions at times and it speaks to your point where you don't automatically, you know, put in a claim with law pro Um, you, you kind of try to, to see, to meet with them, to talk things out. And I would imagine, you know, rather putting aside the bad actors in the space who target young mm-hmm. lawyers in most cases, I think things can be worked out. It's just, these are high pressure situations for the clients. As you mentioned, whether you're going through a divorce and custody or whether or not you've lost a business in the interim, since you've hired a lawyer, it's, it, it is a difficult thing. And so I think it would be important for people to, to kind of recognize that it's a very human business as well. And a lot of what goes into successful lawyering um, is successful you know, clients or even just personal relationship building. Absolutely. I mean, it is a, it is a service industry mm. and it
2: is based on a trust relationship. Mm-hmm. Clients are coming to us with, uh, to your point, some of the most stressful issues they've seen in their life. No one plans on getting divorced.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: No one likes to think about what will happen if they lose their capacity to manage their own property or their own health. Mm-hmm. No one likes to think about what will happen to their assets when they die. Right. But these are conversations that lawyers have with clients all the time. When somebody being served with a document terminated from a job, you know, these are, these are personal plight issues that require a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. And so you might be trying to say, I'm busy, I'm triaging, and that client doesn't need to hear from me right now, but maintaining systems for some constant contact and maintaining some understanding with your client about reasonable expectations for when they will hear back from you, reasonable expectations about how frequently they will receive updates on their matter, go a long way to making sure that a client who is understandably anxious and wants to feel taken care of is actually done, is actually seeing those needs met and seeing that the emails are done and going out the door to them mm-hmm. uh, in ways that can give them comfort and reasonable updates and there is technology to help manage these and template reporting pieces that you can use and you can just decide as a matter of practice that you know every month i will do an update to a to a client or every however often for example so mm-hmm. uh, there are ways to address this to make sure that your clients feel supported at from intake through to uh, the the final account.
1: Yep, exactly. Uh, well, Judah, I mean to wrap up. I think um, in in terms of what somebody who's just passed their Ontario bar exam had articling exempt exempted, and they're they're considering starting an immigration practice, um, and they're they're going through the the you know registering and, and doing all of that. What, um, let's say they go on the Practice Pro website, what what are like the, the two or three main things that you think everybody should be going to and accessing um, in order to to give them a clear picture of what to expect and how to move forward?
2: So I think that if anyone's thinking of getting out there, uh, first off, go to lawpro.ca and mm-hmm. make sure you've got your insurance. Yes, yes, of okay? course. Then, then come to practicepro.ca And just spend the time looking around because we have a lot there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say that as you're starting to figure out your business case uh, and uh, your ideal client persona profile and uh, your, your billing structure, go check out our publications section, which has our managing booklet series. And the managing booklet series has things like how to manage a better professional services firm, how to manage your mentor relationship, how to watch for conflicts of interest, uh, managing your your finances of your practice and managing that lawyer-client relationship. Uh, So lots of little booklets there that can help you in very practical bite-sized ways to launch. Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, your general launch resources as well, I've already mentioned the new lawyer resources. If you're deciding on a particular area of practice, Go to our practice aids and look at the claims risks by area of law and our practice tip sheets, which will help you get a sense of what you need to know. Uh, to build your practice infrastructure, I would go to practicepro.ca slash technology. And we've got a few different articles there of late that are going to help. One is uh, an article on working from home tech tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got all sorts of resources for effective video conferencing. And we also have a, a chart of tech products for lawyers and law firms that'll help you uh, narrow down, uh, the types of products that you might want to consider. And, you know, finally, I think that it's, it's important, uh, to, uh, as a, as a young lawyer, not just review our practice resources and templates, because we have uh, standard retainer letters that you can use and tailor to your practice and other toolkits that will help. But I'd really encourage everyone who's, uh, Coming into the practice, be it in Ontario or elsewhere, to also check out uh, our related site avoidacclaim.com, which is mostly uh, for fraud alerts to the professions, because there are incredibly complex bad check and and cyber frauds occurring mm-hmm. that are targeting lawyers specifically. And uh that are a real issue for new calls to be wary of. So I would I would check that out. And then if you subscribe to avoidaclaim.com, then anytime we launch a new resource or have a new fraud alert, it'll come straight to your inbox.
1: Hmm. Great. Yeah, that those are I mean, it's this is exactly why it's so great to have you on, Judah, because these are, you know. Golden nuggets of information and <laughs> and really great um, resources that that new calls should be looking at, particularly if they're looking to start on their own. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's so invaluable to have those resources. And and in most cases, invariably, there's there are resources out there. There are a lot of people who rely on on sort of secondhand advice from somebody who's been there, done that, um, but it's always good to consult the source yourself and to access these resources that are readily available. And so um, I am I am, I am, almost implore everybody to just rewind back uh, about a minute and a half to two minutes and listen to that again and make note and go uh, go check out those websites and those resources that Judah had mentioned. Um, on that note, Judah, I guess we'll we'll end it here. I really appreciate it. I think there's all kinds of great information and great advice in this podcast, and um, maybe we can make this sort of an annual event <laughs> to have you on That's, and to discuss. I'd be happy the, to. Yeah, to discuss sort of the the new challenges that may be arise in existing as technology continues to get better. So mm-hmm. too will. Will these issues with fraud come up, and um, more and more nuanced areas of practice management and client relationship management need to be considered too? For sure. Great, thank you so much, Jude. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you, and uh, to everyone listening, feel free to be in touch. Uh, I'm pretty uh, pretty open to uh, to you know inquiries from from uh, new calls, and uh, you can find me on LawPro.ca.
1: Amazing. Thank you.
0: And that does it for episode 35 of A Shot of Life. Thanks so much to Judah and thanks everybody for listening. Until next time, we'll talk again.